0: From MIT Technology Review, I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. Our topic today is disinformation, from fake news to propaganda to deep fakes. It may seem like there's no defense against weaponized news. However, scientists are researching ways to quickly identify disinformation to not only help regulators and tech companies, but also citizens as we all navigate this brave new world together. Two words for you Spreading Infodemic. My guest is Dr. Preslav Nakov, who is a principal scientist at Qatar Computing Research Institute. He leads the TANB News Aggregator project, which was developed in collaboration with MIT. He's also the lead principal investigator of a QCRI-MIT collaboration project on Arabic speech and language processing for cross-language information search and fact verification. This episode of Business Lab is produced in association with the Qatar Foundation. Welcome, Dr. Nakov.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So why are we deluged with so much online disinformation right now? this isn't a new problem, right?
1: Of course it's not a new problem. It's not uh, the case that it's for the first time in the history of the universe. Uh, people are telling lies or media are telling lies. Uh, we had uh, the yellow press, uh, uh, we had all these tabloids, and so on and so forth for years. Uh, it became a problem because of uh, the race of, of, of social media. And uh, uh, it suddenly has become possible to have a message that you can send basically to millions and millions of people. And uh, not only that, it, you could now tell different things to different people. Okay, So you could um, micro-profile people and you could deliver them a specific personalized message that is uh, designed, crafted for a specific person with a specific purpose, to press a specific button on them. So the main problem with fake news is not that it's false. The main problem is that the news actually got weaponized. And this is something that Sir Sir Tim Berners-Lee, the uh, creator of the World Wide Web, uh, has been complaining about, that uh, uh, his invention has been weaponized.
0: Yeah, Tim Berners-Lee is is obviously distraught that this has happened. And um, it's not just uh, in one country or another. It is actually around the world so is there an actual difference bef- between fake news, propaganda, and disinformation?
1: Sure, sure there is. Um, I don't like the term fake news. Uh, this is the term that has uh, picked up. It was declared uh, declared word of the year by several dictionaries in different years, uh, shortly after the, the previous uh, presidential elections in the U.S. The problem with, with fake news is that, first of all, there is no clear definition. I have been looking into dictionaries, how they define the term. Um, one major dictionary said, okay, we are not really going to, de- to define it at all because it's something self exploratory You have news, we have fake, and it's news that are fake. It's compositional. It was then used in the 19th century. There is nothing to define. Different people put different meaning into this. To some people, fake news is even just news that they don't like, regardless of whether they are false and so on and so forth. Um, but the main, main problem with fake news is that it really misleads people and sadly even certain major fact checking organizations to only focus on one thing, whether it's true or not. Okay, I prefer and, and most researchers working on the field prefer the term disinformation and this is the term that is adopted by major organizations like the United Nations, NATO, the European Union and so on and so forth. And disinformation is something that has a very clear definition. It has two components. First is something that is false, but second it has a malicious intent, intent to do harm. And Again, the vast majority of research, the vast majority of of, of efforts, many of fact-checking efforts have been focusing on whether something is true or not. And it's typically the the second part is actually ignored, the part where there is malicious intent. And to me, it's equally important. And and this is actually what what, uh, Sir Tim Berners-Lee was talking about when he was talking about weaponization of the news. It's not the main problem of fake news. Again, I was talking to journalists, they're telling me this. The main problem of fake news is not that they are false. The problem is that they are a political weapon. Um, And propaganda, what is propaganda? Propaganda is a term that um, is orthogonal to disinformation. Again, disinformation has two components. It's false and it has malicious intent. Uh, Propaganda uh, also has two components. One is somebody's trying to convince us of something, and second, there is a predefined goal. Now, if you pay attention, Propaganda is not true, it's not false, it's not good, it's not bad. That's not part of the definition, okay? So if a government has a p- campaign to persuade the public to get uh, the vaccinated, you can argue that's, that's for good purposes, or I don't know, let's say Greta Thunberg trying to scare us that uh, um, hundreds of species are getting extinct every day, this is a propaganda technique, appeal to fear, but you can argue that's for good, for good purpose. So propaganda is not bad, it's not good, it is not true, it's not false.
0: Propaganda has the goal to do something. And, and by forcing that goal, it is really appealing to that that fear factor. So that is the distinction between disinformation and propaganda, is the, is the fear.
1: No, fear is just one of the techniques. Uh, we have been looking into this. So um, a lot of research has been focusing on um, uh, binary classification, more or less, uh, Is this true? Is this false? Uh, Is this propaganda? Is this not propaganda? We have um, looked a little bit deeper. We have been looking into what techniques have been used to do propaganda. Again, you can talk about propaganda, you can talk about persuasion, or uh, public relations, or mass communication. It's basically the same thing, kind of different terms for about the same same kind of thing. And propaganda techniques, they, they are of two kinds. The first kind are certain kind of appeal to emotions. It can be to fear, it can be to kind of to strong feelings, it can be to patriotic feelings, and so on and so forth. And the other half are logical fallacies, things like black and white fallacy. For example, you read either with us or against us, or bandwagon. Bandwagon is like, oh, uh, the, last, the latest poll shows that 57% are going to, Trump for Hillary, to, to, to vote for Hillary. Somehow he's bandwagon. I mean, we are on the right side of history. We have to join us. Right? or and, and and there are several other uh, uh, propaganda things. There is red herring, there is intentional obfuscation, and so on and so forth. And we have been like, looking into 18 of those, uh, half of them appealing to emotions and half of them appealing to kind of using certain kind of logical fallacies, so certain kind of broken logical reasoning. Um, and we have built tools to detect those in text so that we can really show them to the user and, and make uh, this explicit, so that they understand how they are being manipulated.
0: So in the context of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, the Director General of the World Health Organization said, and I quote, we're not just fighting an epidemic, we're fighting an infodemic. How do you define infodemic? What are some of those techniques that we can use to also avoid harmful content?
1: So, yeah, infodemic, um, that's, 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 this, this, is, this is something great. Actually, MIT Technology Review had uh, about a year ago, last year in February, had a great article that was uh, talking about that that the COVID 19 pandemic has given rise to the first global social media infodemic. Um, and again, around the same time, the World Health Organization, back in February, I have browsed their website and they have listed top five priorities in the fight against the pandemic and the fighting the infodemic was number two number two in the list of top five priorities okay so it's 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 definitely a big problem what is the infodemic well it, it's a merging of, 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 uh, of a pandemic and 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 the pre-existing uh, disinformation um, that was already present in social media it's also a blending of uh, political and health disinformation. Before that, the political part and, let's say, the anti-vaxxer movement, those were separate. Now everything is blended together.
0: And that's a real problem. I mean, if the World Health Organization's concern should be fighting the pandemic, but then its secondary concern is fighting disinformation, finding hope in that kind of of, um, fear is very difficult. So one of the projects that you're working on is called Tanbi, and Tanbi is a news aggregator, right? That uncovers disinformation. So the project itself has a number of goals. Um, One is to uncover stance bias and propaganda in the news. The second is to promote different viewpoints and engage users. But then the third is to limit the effect of fake news. How does Tanbi work?
1: So Tanbi is uh, started uh, indeed as a news aggregator and it has grown into something uh, uh, quite 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 large in that uh, into a, a project which is um, it is a mega project um, in the, the Qatar Computing Research Institute and uh, um, it it, it uh, spans people from several groups in the institute and also <coughs> it is um, developed in cooperation with uh, MIT. So we we started the project with the aim to develop tools that we can actually put in the hands of the final users. And uh, we decided to do this as part of a news aggregator. Think of something like Google News. And uh, as you're reading the news, we are signaling to you if something is propagandistic, and you are giving you background information about the source. What we are doing is we are analyzing media in advance, and we are building media profiles. So we are showing, telling to you to what extent their, their content is propagandistic. We are telling to you whether they are trustworthy source or not, whether they are biased, left-centre, right-biased, whether they're extreme, like extreme, left-extreme, right. Also, whether they're biased with respect to specific topics. And this is something that is very useful. Imagine that you're reading something, some article that is skeptical about global warming. If we tell you, look, this news outlet has always been very biased in this same way, then you probably take it in a different in kind of with a grain of salt. Um, we are also uh, showing the the perspective of reporting things like the framing. Um, if you think about it, COVID nineteen Brexit um, any major event has different can be reported from different aspects. For example. Let's, say, let's take COVID-19. It has a health aspect, that's for sure, but it also has an economic aspect, uh, even a political aspect, right? And, and, and uh, it has quality of life aspect, has human rights aspect, legal aspect, uh, all, all these kinds of things. And we are re, uh, modeling the media and we are trying to see what is their perspective. Those media profiles, <laughs> we are also exposing them as, as a um, browser plugin, So that as you are reading websites, different as you are visiting different websites, you can actually click on the plugin and you can get background information about, uh, very brief uh, background information about the website. And uh, you can also click on a link to access a more detailed profile. And um, this is very important. And if you think about it, the focus on the source, again, most of the research has been focusing on, is this claim true or not? And, or is this web page, is this news web page, this, this, this piece of news, is it true or not, no? First of all, as I already told you, that's only half of the problem. The other half of the problem is actually um, whether this is uh, harmful or not, okay, which is typically ignored. Um, the other thing is that um, you cannot possibly fact check every single claim in the world, not manually, not automatically. Manually, that's out of the question, right? There was a study that, uh, from uh, MIT Media Lab uh, about two years ago where they have done a, a large study on many, many tweets, and they have been showing that uh, false information goes six times further and, and, and spreads much faster than real information. There's another study that is much, much less uh, famous, but I find it uh, much more important, which shows that 50% of the lifetime spread of some very viral fake news happens in the first 10 minutes. In the first 10 minutes. Manual fact checking takes a day or two, sometimes a week. No, uh, Automatic fact checking. How can you fact check a claim? Well, if you are lucky, if, if the claim is like the US economy grew 10% last year. That, that claim you can automatically check easily, right? By looking into Wikipedia or a certain kind of tables. But if there is a news like, well, there was a bomb in this little village, in this little town in this street uh, two minutes ago, well, uh, you cannot really fact check it because the way that you fact check it automatically, you need to have some information from somewhere. So basically, you want to see what the, the media are going to write about it or how users are going to react to it. And both of those take time to accumulate. So basically, you have no information to check it. So what can you do? What we are proposing is to move at the higher granularity, to focus on the source. And this is what journalists are doing. Journalists are looking into, are there two independent, trusted sources that are, that are claiming this? Okay. So basically, we are going and we are analyzing media. Even if you put this in social media, you are probably going to put a link to a website where we have like a whole story. Now, you cannot create a new fake news website for every fake claim that you are making. You are going to reuse them. And you can actually go, We can monitor what are the most frequent uh, uh, such websites, and we can analyze them in advance. And I like to say that you can fact check the fake news before it was even written, because the moment when it's written, the moment when it's put in social media, and there's a link to a website, if we have this website in our growing database of continuously analyzed websites, we can immediately tell you whether this is a reliable website or not. Of course, unreliable websites might have also true information, and true websites, good websites, might sometimes be wrong as well. But you know, we kind of can give you uh, uh, an, an immediate idea. Beyond the news aggregator, we started looking into doing uh, analytics. But also, uh, we are developing, as I said, those tools for media literacy that are showing to people the fine-grained propaganda techniques that can actually highlight in the text the specific places where propaganda is happening and and the specific type. And finally, what we are doing is we are building tools that can support fact-checkers in their work. And those are, again, uh, things that that are problems that are typically overlooked but are extremely important for fact-checkers, namely... What is worth fact-checking in the first place? Imagine a presidential debate, right? And they have like more than 1,000 sentences that have been said. And you, as a fact-checker, can check maybe like 10 or 20 of those. Which ones are you going to fact-check first? What are the most interesting ones? We can help you prioritize this. Or there are like millions and millions of tweets going on about COVID-19 on a daily basis. And which of those you would like to fact-check as a fact-checker? The second problem is detecting previously fact-checked claims. Okay, So one problem with fact-checking technology these days is that uh, one is quality, but the second part is lack of credibility. So imagine an interview with with a politician. Can you put the politician on the spot? Imagine a a system that automatically uh, does speech recognition, that's easy, and then does uh, fact-checking, and and suddenly you say, oh, uh, Mr. X, uh, uh, I have an AI that tells me you are now 96% likely to be lying. Can you elaborate on that? Why are you lying? You cannot do that, no, because you can don't trust the system. You cannot put the politician on the spot in real time or or during a political debate. But if you actually, if the system comes back and says, look, he just said something that has been fact-checked by this trusted fact-checking organization, and here's the claim that he said, and here's the claim that was fact-checked, and see, we know now it's false, okay? And this is something that can potentially revolutionize journalism.
0: So getting back to that point about analytics... To get into the technical details of it, how does Tanbi use artificial intelligence and deep neural networks to analyze that content if it's coming across so much data, so many tweets? Hmm.
1: So Tambi initially um, was not really focusing on, on tweets. Uh, Tambi has been focusing primarily on mainstream media. As I said, we have been like... Uh, uh, we have been trying to uh, analyze entire news outlets so that we are prepared. Because again, there is a very strong connection between social media and 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 and, and websites. Because it's not enough just to put a claim uh, on the web and spread it. Okay, it can spread, but people are going to perceive it as a rumor because uh, there is no source, there is no further elaboration on that, right? So, so you still want to look into the websites and then. Um, um, and, and, and as I said, by looking into the source, you can get an idea whether you want to trust this, this uh, um, uh, claim among among other, other information sources. And the other way around, I can profile. When we are profiling media, we are analyzing the text of, of what media publish. Okay? So we would go and we would say, okay, let's look into a few hundred articles or a few thousand by this target news outlet. But then we would also look into how this medium self-represents itself in social media many of those websites have actually social media accounts and then also how people react to what has been published okay so um, um in 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 twitter in facebook and so on and so forth and then if the media have other kinds of channels for example if they have a youtube channel we would go to it, analyze that as well so we'll look into not only what they say but how they say and this is something that comes from the speech signal. A lot of emotions. If there is a lot of appeal to emotions, you can you can detect some some of it in text, but but some of a fit you can actually get from the tone. Um, we are also looking into uh, what others write about this medium. For example, what is written about them in Wikipedia. And we are putting all this together. We are also analyzing the images that are put, put on this website. We are analyzing the connections between the websites, the the relationship between this website and their, and their users, the overlap uh, in terms of users between different websites. And then we are using different kinds of of graph uh, networks. So in terms of uh, neural networks, we are using different kinds of models. Um, It's primarily deep contextualized text text representation based on transformers. Uh, That's what you typically do for text these days. We are also using graph neural networks. um, And are using different kinds of convolutional neural networks for, uh, uh, let's say, for image analysis. And, and, And we are also using neural networks for speech analysis.
0: So what do we learn by studying this kind of, you know, dis- disinformation region by region or by language? Uh, how can that actually help governments and healthcare organizations fight disinformation?
1: We can, we can basically give them um, um, aggregated uh, information and, um, about uh, what is going on. And uh, um, again, the, the kind of schema that we have been uh, developing uh, for um, uh, analysis of the of the tweets. So okay. So so what what as I said, we have designed a, a very um, comprehensive schema. We have not been looking into only whether it's true or not. We have not been looking only, uh, but we have been looking into whether it's spreading panic, okay, or it's promoting bad cure, or or xenophobic racism, or or, or, or prejudices But we have been looking into other things. Okay, we have been looking into. Uh, trying to analyze tweets and automatically detect whether they, the tweet is asking an important question that the, um, maybe a, a, a certain government entity might want to answer. For example, one such question uh, last year was, um, is the COVID-19 going to disappear in the summer? No, um, And that's something that maybe the, the authorities might want to, uh, maybe health authorities might want to go and, and to um, um, answer um, other things uh, have been um, um advice uh, offering advice or or discussing action taken and possible cures so we have been looking into not only uh negative uh things things that 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 uh, you might act uh, try try to limit uh, those kinds of events things like panic or racism or xenophobia things like don't eat chinese food don't eat Italian food and stuff like that. Uh, or or things like blaming authorities for their action or inaction, which you know governments might want to to pay attention to this and to see to what extent that's justified, right? And 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 see if they want to do something about it. But also important things you might as 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 a government you might want to or as a policymaker you might want to monitor. Uh, social media and detect when somebody when there's a lot of discussion of a possible cure and uh, if this is a good cure you might want to pay attention if this is a bad cure you might also kind of go there end say it out and out so that people don't uh, use the bad thing and discussion of action call for action they, they have been like things if there are many people that say okay quotes I don't know let's say the barber shops okay you might want to see why are they saying that and do want to listen
0: right because the the government wants to monitor this disinformation for the explicit purpose of helping everyone um, not take those bad cures, right? Not continue down the path of thinking this propaganda or disinformation is true. So is it a government action to regulate disinformation on on social media? Or do you think it's uh, up to the tech companies to kind of sort it out
1: themselves? So uh, that's, that's a good question. Uh, two years ago, um, I was invited by the Interparliamentary Assembly. So they have invited three experts and uh, there were 800 members of parliament from countries around the world. And for three hours, they were asking us questions, basically going around the central topic. What kind of legislation can we, the national parliaments, pass so that we get uh, a solution to the problem of disinformation once and for all? And, uh, of course, the, the, the consensus at the end was that that's a complex problem and there's no easy solution. And certain kind of legislation definitely uh, plays a role. So in many countries, certain kind of hate speech is illegal. Um, and uh, in many countries, certain kinds of regulations, let's say, when it comes to elections um, and advertisements um, uh, at election time uh, uh, that apply to regular media, uh, also extend to the, to the, to the web um, uh space and uh there has been a lot of call recent call for regulations in in, in UK in in the European Union more recently even in the US right and, and that's that's a, a very heated debate um but i don't think that that i mean this uh, what i want to say is that this is a complex problem and there is no easy solution and uh, there are important players there and um mm, those players have to work together. Okay, so certain legislation, yes, but you also need the cooperation of the social media platforms, of the social media companies, because the disinformation is happening in their platforms, and they're in a very good position, the best position actually, to limit the spread or to do something, or actually to uh, teach their users to, um, uh, you know, to educate their users. Um, uh, that that probably they should not spread uh, everything, uh, you know, that they see and so on and so forth. And then, um, the the non government organizations, uh, journalists, uh, all these fact checking efforts. This is also very important. Um, and I I hope that the efforts that we researchers that we are building such tools uh, would also be uh, helpful in that respect. And uh, finally, I I want to to say that uh, my. Favourite solution? OK, one thing, one thing that we need to pay attention to is that if it comes to regulation, to legislation, we should not think necessarily what can we do about this or that specific company. We should think more in the long term, right? Uh, and and we should be careful uh, to protect also the, the, free, the, the free speech. So it's kind of a delicate balance. Um, in terms of uh, fake news, OK, disinformation, the only case where somebody has declared victory, and the only solution that we have seen actually to work is the case of Finland. Back in May 2019, Finland has officially declared that they have won the war on fake news. It took them five years, so they started working on that after the events with Crimea. They somehow felt threatened, Um, and uh, they started a very aggressive um, media literacy campaign. They... uh, focusing primarily in the schools, but also uh, really universities and, and all levels of societies, but of course primarily in schools. They are teaching students how to tell whether something is fishy, if it makes you too angry, you know, maybe something is not correct, if uh, how to do, let's say, reverse image search to check whether this image that is shown from is actually from this event or is from somewhere else, and so on and so forth. And in five years they have declared victory. So to me, media literacy is the best uh, mid-to-long-term solution. And that's why I'm, I'm particularly proud of our uh, tools for, um, let's say, fine-grained propaganda analysis because it really shows the users how they are being manipulated. And uh, I can tell you that my hope is that after people have interacted a little bit with a program like this, they'll learn those techniques. And uh, next time, they are going to recognize them for by themselves. They will not need a program. And it happened to me, and... You know, several other researchers that we have worked on this problem, it happened to us. So now I cannot read the news properly anymore. Each time I read the news, I spot those things because I know them and I can recognize them. If we can get to that level, um, th- that would be good. Uh, maybe social media companies can uh, uh, can be, can do something like that. Before, when a user registers on their platform, they need to take some social media, uh, digital li- me- literacy uh, Short course and then pass something like an exam, right? So they understand what is going on. And there are of course many government programs like that. Uh, uh, I mean, governments. I mean, the case of Finland shows that that if the government intervenes and puts that in place, the right programs. This is something that 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 you know can can be solved. I hope that that fake news is going to go the way of spam, right? It's not going to be eradicated. Spam is still there, but it's not this kind of problem that was twenty years ago.
0: And that's uh, you know media literacy, and and even if it does take five years to eradicate this kind of disinformation or just improve society's understanding of media literacy and and what is disinformation, uh, elections happen fairly uh, frequently, and so that would be a great place to start, to start thinking about how to stop this problem. Like you said, if it becomes like spam, it becomes something that is you deal with every day, but you don't actually think about or worry about anymore. And it's not going to completely turn over democracy. Uh, That seems to me a very attainable goal. Dr. Nukov, thank you so much for joining us today on what's been a fantastic conversation on the Business Lab.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: That was Dr. Nakov, a principal scientist at Qatar Computing Research Institute, who I spoke with from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review, overlooking the Charles River. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the director of Insights, the custom publishing division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And you can find us in print, on the web, and at events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technology.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope that you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by
1: Collective Next. Thanks for listening.